Here are some clips from this week's deep dive episode of the Bestseller Experiment for Patreon subscribers. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, a special deep dive episode that we record exclusively for our academies on the Bestseller Academy and our patrons over on Patreon. And very special guest today, we've got Stuart Gibbon here. Stuart is a former UK senior police detective who served in London and the East Midlands. In 2014, he launched his own business providing a consultancy service for writers. Stuart also appears on TV and radio, radio as a policing expert. His website, Gibb Consultancy, is a gold mine of advice for anyone researching crime fiction and i'll put a link in the show notes so you can check that out he's also co-written a series of books with stephen wade the crime writer's casebook being a detective and catching a killer and also a series of indispensable guides on criminal investigation procedures Stuart, welcome to the podcast how are you today sir i'm very well mark thanks very much for inviting me looking forward to chatting Excellent stuff. Well, we've got a bunch of listener questions as well, uh, which have been sent in and hopefully you've had time to have a look at. And I've got two here, which are essentially this, asking the same thing. Uh, and it's it's the it's the first question I usually ask of any expert that I talk to when I'm researching something. So the first one's from Gavin Ralph, who said, what do crime novels and TV dramas often get wrong? And in a similar vein, Christopher Wills says, what's the worst or funniest case of police procedure you've seen for UK cops on TV? You know, the kind that makes you want to throw something at the screen. So what are writers getting wrong, Stuart? What are we getting <laughs> wrong that you see over and over again? I, th- I think if, if anybody knows something about a particular subject and you're watching the telly or you're reading a book and you see something that isn't quite right, I think, I- I'm sure there are people who don't, but I certainly fall into the camp that you're kind of jumping up saying, you know, that would never happen what on earth and <laughs> they're doing that. So, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite common. Um, in police procedure... I, th- I think one of the things to bear in mind that I always say when I talk about this sort of area is that your TV programs, so your your crime dramas and things like that, sometimes they're set over many weeks, but often they're the actual episodes like an hour, maybe mm-hmm. two hours, two hours maximum. And in that time, they've got to have the lead detective charging around, interviewing everybody and, and arresting people. And they've got to find the person responsible as well. So there's quite a bit of artistic license involved there in relation to what they do in in, in terms of what happens really. Um, but the thing that really does me, in a way, is the one where I do jump up on the seat, um, is around um, contamination of, of a, say, let's say, a crime scene. Let's say we've got a murder and, and the body is still in, in, in situ and you've got you've got all the forensic team. And often it's quite well portrayed because you'll have them with all the gear on. They'll have the white suits, they'll have the masks, they'll have the foot covers and the gloves, mm. and they'll be taking photographs. And then suddenly they, the, the detective in charge will come traipsing into the crime scene and just, oh, what's that? And just lean over the body with a with a pen or something and just have a little poke around and say, well, that's interesting. Then they've got something in their mouth and that that's the kind of thing that um, is obviously a big no-no. And it's it could be covered in a, in a way by just putting some little bit of extra things around kind of forensic contamination. But that's a big one for me. It's about um, everybody else is dressed and everybody's doing the right thing. But your lead, oh, I won't name names, obviously, but we all know these sort of people are. <laughs> yeah, the, the star of the show is is in there all over it and then comes out again. And there's no real kind of, um, there's no, there's nothing to show, you know, the, the, the fact that the, the scene's been contaminated. So I would say that's probably one for me that, mm. that makes me kind of cringe a little bit. Understand why they do it, because if you've got your lead actor 
you don't, you want to see their face, you want to see them talking. You don't really want to have a mask on, but then it, it drifts away from reality a little bit. Um, and another one that's it's a bit of a favourite of mine, which if you if you bear it in mind and you think in future, you may have noticed it already. But if ever you see an interview scene in a police station, you can virtually guarantee that there'll be a uniformed police officer somewhere within that room, standing with a back to the wall, or maybe as they leave the room outside the room. And again, I think that's just kind of a visual aid because it's something that in reality would never happen. I've never known it in all my years of interviewing people. It'd be nice to have those spare officers to stand in the room. Yes. Um, but but actually, it, it never happens. There's an alarm strip um, in the room. So if something does happen, there is a bit of violence or threats and you need help, you press the alarm strip and people come charging to help you. Um, there isn't any real need for a uniformed officer but it looks kind of good on telly when you watch it because the officer doesn't do anything very rarely speaks but just kind of sta- stands there with their, their arms behind their back just kind of looking good if you like so i'd say that there, there are a couple of things really that they're not massive things but to me they would be because in the in the real world these things are kind of not so much the interview one but certainly the forensic it's you get one chance at it and that's why it takes so long to examine a it's particularly a murder scene because it's fingertip and you you know once you've released that scene you can't then go back and do it all again mm. well you can but it's clearly contaminated so for me that's that that's a kind of biggie and and you do sometimes see it in books it's very it's quite rare in a in a crime novel a fictional novel for people to make reference to the forensic gear which is kind of that's what would happen um, so, so my advice in relation to those sort of things if you've got people going into the crime scene or already working there it's really nice to paint a picture for the reader say you know they've got their white suits on and it's a hot day and everybody's sweating and it's uncomfortable because it really is when you wear them mm. um you know and the fact that they've got all the right gear and i think they just it just paints a picture for the reader and it just makes it a little bit more realistic so your consultancy people can send you their novels uh for you to consult on uh, and again what are the what are the common mistakes in in fiction putting tv to one side because obviously that has pacing issues and there's reasons they do that but in a book you've got a bit more room to breathe what are what yeah. are the mistakes that you know when when people send their books to you what are you seeing come up again and again i think one of them is that is the language that's used not the obscene language but the way that police officers talk to each other right. i think there's a kind of perception that it's very military and it's very formal and you know all the senior officers are barking orders at the at the junior <laughs> colleagues and it in reality it's it's much more relaxed than that and I do see, I do see quite a lot um, that people use last names. So you know, it's like rather than saying officer, or, uh, that term isn't used really. The right. term detect, the term detective. I mean, if if you were a, a detective and I was a senior detective, I wouldn't say, you know, detective, stay. Can you just go and do this for me? It, it never happens. Mm. Um, and the, the word detective on its own is more of an American term, really, mm. than a UK term. So I'd say. Um, Really and truly, there is some respect and there is some discipline, but it's fairly informal. So my, me as a, a, a detective chief inspector in charge of a murder, um, I, I wouldn't be called chief inspector. I wouldn't be called DCI. Not to not you know not face to face. I'd be called things like Gov, short for governor mm-hmm. or even governor, boss, um, those sort of things. So it's very, it's a bit more informal. And I would refer to junior colleagues by the first names. It really is conversational. It's much more, even if I was asking them to do something or giving them some kind of instructions, it's really much more informal. And I think sometimes when I read the notes that I'm sent, it's very much, you know, Smith this and Jones that and, you know, barking orders. And all right, people do get shouted at from time to time, but it's 
you know, it's the, the realism of it is everybody's working as a team and it's much more informal. Although there is this understanding that some people are more senior in rank and have mm-hmm. more responsibility and accountability than others. I think probably another one maybe um around um the role of the coroner without going too deep into it but uh, basically um the coroner is a very important person who deals with people um when they've died and they deal with a family and they're in charge of inquests and things like that but what the coroner certainly does not do is have any involvement with a police investigation and they certainly don't carry out a post-mortem. And I think sometimes people get the coroner and the pathologist mixed yes. up. Um, yeah. It's the pathologist that carries out the post-mortem. They provide a written report. They go to court and give evidence on their findings. Um, but it's the coroner that sits above this process in terms of the death of a person, whether it's suspicious or otherwise. And I think sometimes people think coroner, think of death, and then think they do everything, wherein, in fact, it's um, they're just a very important part of a much bigger process. This is this is part of the, one of the things. If you have a little knowledge of something, you start to realize. You either think, "Oh, I know it all," which we don't, or you start to realize there's so much more to this. Which is where listeners, uh, Stuart's guides are absolutely indispensable. It takes you through all of this in in the detail that you need. Now, talk about the things that that dramas get wrong. I've got an interesting question from Christopher Wills here as well. He says, "Have you ever learned anything useful yourself from watching police series on TV or from reading a good police novel? Who's doing it well? Who should we be looking at? Who's 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 doing this really really well out there?" Well, I think nowadays things have changed ever so slightly. Um, because you can help support the podcast. Subscribe today at bestsellerexperiment.com/support. That's bestsellerexperiment.com/support. Thanks again.